do it. Seriously, just stop right now. I can, I, I know what you're doing. You're paying attention to final scores from Grapefruit League games. Don't do it. Don't do it when the Pirates get smoked. Don't do it when they win. However, however, take the pluses, the real ones, for what they're worth. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. Comes your way every Monday through Friday, bright and early in the morning, and in plenty of time to prepare yourself for a day or a week in which the Pirates might or might not win some additional spring training exhibition games, which might or might not get you irrationally hopeful for how they'll do in 2021. Just don't do it. The Pirates are coming off a weekend in which they beat the Yankees 3-2, and yesterday they clubbed the Orioles 13-1. The Pirates' record, oh, oh, I hate even mentioning teams' records in spring training, but the Pirates' record is 4-3-1. and one. one game was ended as a tie. These things mean not a thing. I, I, I can't... This year, even less than nothing, if that's possible. With the way managers are just cutting off rallies in mid-innings by saying, that's it, this inning is over, and you've got like two guys on base. They're ending games whenever it is that they want. They're extending other games. Doesn't matter at all. But I'll tell you this, out of the stuff that matters, I get the sense that a lot of local baseball fans are going to be paying more attention to Kevin Newman having a couple more hits yesterday. He's now got nine of his 11 plate appearances leading to him reaching base safely. Brian Hayes with Another double yesterday. He's got four extra base hits in as many games. Of course, against the Yankees, Gregory Polanco going three for three with a solo homer and three RBIs. And offense gets us excited. That's that's human nature, uh, especially when the expectations for this particular offense are rightly and accurately as low as they are. But I got to tell you, the thing that's actually doing it for me in the very early portions of this spring is the same thing that was doing it for me when I was down in Bradenton for that opening week and listening to people talk about what had them excited for the 2020 Pirates and the system as a whole. And that's the pitching. That's the arms. They feel like if there's one thing, if there's one variable that could swing their way and adjust outside expectations, it'll be the pitching. And I'll tell you what, I'm here for that. I'm I'm a buyer on the arms that they've got. I'm not a buyer necessarily, and I can't be, on the results they'll get. Because until they're out there on a big league mound and they're consistently throwing strikes and they're consistently showing poise, then we have no idea. We can get pumped up about Blake Cedarland throwing casually 100 miles an hour and change. 
throwing a 90-plus slider with bite. But I also was standing behind the batting cage down in Bradenton when he was spraying all over creation, a live batting practice in which at one point Polanco was in the cage and he just basically put his bat on his shoulder because he knew he wasn't going to get anything to hit. I can't do anything about forecasting something like that. But I can, and I think the Pirates are fair to, look at the quality of some of the arms that they have that are going to be in the Pittsburgh rotation, but also, again, in the overall system, and think to themselves, this might be better than what we had in 2020. I know, I know, low bar, right? Okay, but... When we went into the 2020 season, ask yourself who the Pirates' rotation was. Before he was hurt, it was Chris Archer. Although he was hurt, it would theoretically have been Jamison Tyone in there, Trevor Williams, Joe Musgrove, Chad Cool, Stephen Brault. Cool was coming off his own Tommy John, so that was uncertain. He kind of played himself through the season well enough to believe that he's back health-wise. Brault is the other one who's back. But the, these other guys that I mentioned to you, they're not around anymore. And I don't know that that's a bad thing. I'm not going to sit here and kick people on the way out the door. I'm not going to tell you anything that I didn't say while they were still here. Archer was a complete bust in Pittsburgh. Musgrove said all the right things and showed all the right competitive spirit and, you know, fielded his position really well and even hit the ball. And once in a while, he would have an outing where you'd go, wow, Joe, that was just spectacular. Uh, By the way, where's that been? He'd walk off the mound after eight or nine innings dominating people, and you'd be like, where was that? It was no to say that it was inconsistent doesn't even do it justice because it would show up like once every two months and usually later in the season when it meant nothing. I hope he does really well in San Diego. I hope Trevor Williams, who might have been the worst starting pitcher in all of baseball, I hope that he bounces back. These are a couple of good dudes, but they weren't good pitchers. Not for Pittsburgh, not in 2020, and really not in 2019 either. So you start by saying, here's addition through subtraction. Could someone like Cool, or Brault, or Mitch Keller, or JT Brubaker, who threw a couple of scoreless innings yesterday against Baltimore, could these guys be better than the guys they replaced? Well, yeah. Again, low bar. Could they be markedly better than the guys they replaced? Well, maybe. Maybe. And that that's how I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of this from the starting pitching standpoint. I'm not expecting all gold. I'm not expecting uh, to see like some 1997 style, you know, five guys taking their turn the whole way through the season and everybody ends up with 30 or 32 starts. And you know what? Neither are Derek Shelton and Ben Charrington, both of whom have stated 
outright that they expect to use 10 or 11 starters, not out of need, but out of want. They want to rotate these guys and their innings pitched because of the bizarre circumstance of 2020 where everybody's innings count got whacked dramatically and dangerously, really, from a health standpoint. So they want to guard against that. You might see really unusual rotation calls. So don't think of this as just which five guys are going to pitch in Pittsburgh and it's going to be like, uh, you know, five aces just trading the ball to each other. It's not going to happen. You're going to see Cody Ponce, for example. You're going to see Miguel Yahure, the the – Will Crow, the, some of the older guys that they got in these offseason trades, Yahure coming from the Yankees, Crow coming from the Nationals in the, in the Josh Bell trade, and he, by the way, also pitched really well over the weekend. So they see this as a potential advantage. If they can run that deep with guys who can go out there and get you five, six innings, swap places with someone else in Indianapolis, go back down, come back up, and kind of keep the train moving here. Now, there's going to be some significant roster manipulation along the way, and a lot of hope goes into what I'm saying here. But the bar is low. Have I mentioned this? The bar is low. The bullpen's a different story. The bullpen feels like another subject for another day because it's 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 got some layers to it, and I could argue that no matter what you have in the bullpen, it's not going to matter without a competent closer because, hey, you can be lights out in the 6th, 7th, and 8th, and none of it matters if you got nobody for the ninth. It's just how it goes. That's just baseball. But from the starting pitching standpoint, no, they're not going to mow people down No, they're not going to shock the baseball world or anything like that. But the pitching alone will be better than it was in 2020. And one would hope that the hitting would be better than it was in 2020 when almost everybody cratered out at a career low. Seems unlikely that that would replicate itself. So this Pirates team, which I think a lot of people feel is going to be uh, multiple times over a disaster compared to 2020, I I don't. I don't. I don't think they're going to win very many games, but I don't think they're going to be anything like what you saw in 2020. And I'm talking just about the Pittsburgh Pirates here. When we come back to Just one question. If you'd like to leave one, you can do so by visiting DK Pittsburgh Sports. Find the article that encompasses this podcast and leave it right there in comments. Welcome back. It's time for Just One Question. And always on this program, that's brought to you by our friends at Mike's Beer Bar and the North Shore Tavern. Those are sister operations right next to each other on Federal Street, directly across from PNC Park. The side with the Willie Stargell statue. They're open for business. They're serving everything. At Mike's, you can find more than 300 
local beers available in-house from more than 50 local breweries. There's no place like it in the city. There's always, always 80 taps of local. They also are offering specials. Buy three crawlers, get three free. I'm not making that one up. Buy three crawlers and get three free. You also can get 50% off mix and match six packs. Next door at North Shore Tavern, that's the home of the steak on a stone. That's all I ever need to say about North Shore Tavern, other than it's a Pirates fan's delight with the decor in there. Only Pirates Bar in Pittsburgh. Mike's Beer Bar and North Shore Tavern. Today's Just One Question comes from Chuck McNett, who asks, if a salary cap and floor are not realized within the new CBA, could an alternative tool assist the competitive balance issue? For instance, teams with bottom quarter revenue each year would receive two or three picks per draft round for every one pick that the top three quarters of the revenue teams receive. Uh, Yeah, I guess. I mean, that's, I just I get cynical about stuff like this because this is this is where you you start just saying you know what we can't possibly uh, win something on this front and so we're just going to try to pick up the crumbs which is what way too many of these teams have been way too comfortable doing for way too long and that's how baseball has gotten to this point. Uh, to me, you have to go draconian right from the outset. You don't accept anything that looks like a defeat. Uh, you you go into this saying, listen, we're tired of this. We're tired of having to answer to our fans for this system. We're being compared to other teams in town that play in salary cap leagues. Uh, it's not just Pittsburgh. I know we all think of this from the Pittsburgh perspective, and, and that's that's right and understandable, but this happens everywhere other than a handful of cities, handful of markets. And if you don't make some kind of concerted effort, and I do mean concerted, meaning owners banding together, making some noise, not just individually, and not being afraid, not being afraid of what Scott Boris will say about you, not being afraid of what Tony Clark will say about you, for that matter, not being afraid of what Rob Manfred or other owners will say about you. Everyone talks about the white knight that Pittsburgh could have someday if someone bought the team from Bob Nutting or whatever. The white knight that would come in wouldn't spend his or her own money anyway. It doesn't happen anywhere in sports. Mark Cuban will buy the team. Mark Cuban's here. Mark, Mark Cuban wouldn't spend one red cent on the Pirates' payroll of his personal wealth. He doesn't do it with the Dallas Mavericks. No owner does it anywhere. If you can cite one example of an owner in any of the four major professional sports who does this, please feel free to send it my way. I will read it out loud. But I won't be doing that because it doesn't exist. They use their operational expenses and they apply them toward payroll. Do the Pirates do everything that they can within operational expenses? No, I don't believe that they do. I believe that they did in 2014, 15, and 16. They certainly aren't doing that now. Can they do it again? Sure, and they'd better whenever Ben Charrington and Travis Williams are ready to go. 
This isn't that time. So I really don't care what the payroll is right now when you've got a roster full of kids. You don't pay them until they need to be paid. And you don't go adding a bunch of veterans just to save face. That doesn't make any sense either. I'd rather set that money aside. If I were the GM of the Pirates, that's what I'd do. I'd rather set that aside for when I've got a rotation that's got Mitch Keller, Kumar Rocker, uh, Quinn Priester, and whoever the next number one pick is. You know, <laughs> That's when I want to spend my money, not now. I'd like to see, hear, read anything from any direction that suggests that the owners and or team executives of the Pirates and other teams are banding together to say, this is BS. We're done with it. We're done with it. I don't have hope that Bob Nutting will be among those. He doesn't have the personality. Contrary to public perception, the Pirates don't benefit from the current system versus a salary cap. He'd make way more money in a salary cap system. Way more. It's not even close. He just doesn't have the personality for it. He doesn't like to rock the boat. He likes to be very, very respectful of the commissioner's office, whether that was Bud Selig or now Manfred. It's not going to be him. But it can be somebody. It could be... Mark Atanasio in, in Milwaukee, the outspoken, uh, outgoing, and aggressive owner of the Brewers up there. Fans love him. Market that's two-thirds the size of Pittsburgh. They love him. Someone like that. Maybe someone like that could do this. But to, to go and settle for these kinds of small conciliatory prizes like what you're talking about, Chuck. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure there are different things that can be done. But I, I just I cringe at, at, at contemplating those things at this stage. Not when you can go for the whole thing. Good question, though. Seriously, thanks, Chuck. I appreciate it. And I appreciate everyone listening today. We'll do it again tomorrow. Park University in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, they understand there's no substitute for real-world experience and career-building connections. Their innovative curriculum engages students with distinctive experiential learning opportunities. Point Park's pioneering co-op program empowers qualified students to work in full-time, paid positions with their corporate partners while earning college credits. Visit pointpark.edu works to learn more. Career ready. That's the point. Point Park University. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.